Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Simon Says Sports Show, a show that is focused on sports, but from a gambling perspective. I know what a lot of you are thinking. Why gambling? Don't all gamblers wind up broke or blind? Well, I guess not blind. That's something else, which is why we're reading glasses. But gambling to me is very important, not just in terms of understanding sports, but in terms of understanding life. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the odds, what they mean, and why I do think that gambling is so important that everybody at least have a grasp on of some sort. In the news and notes segment, I first want to tell you guys a little bit about myself, just so you know why I'm doing this show, who I am, because unless you're a defense lawyer, you probably have never heard of me. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And then in the game theory, that's when we're really going to get into the odds, the game theory segment. We're going to get into the odds, what they mean, what to look for, that kind of stuff. And then lastly, in the handicapping segment, I'll look at this week's playoff games, the NFL playoff games. Now, I'm going to talk about all kinds of different sports on the show, but I thought the NFL playoffs made sense for this show. So first of all, a little bit about myself. I am the father of three. I'm married. I'm originally from Seattle, but lived in Denver for many years and am fairly new to Florida. I've been here about three years and absolutely love it. I've actually become a Dolphins fan just in the short time that I've been here, which is unfortunate because, you know, I had Seattle and Denver too. So it's just not looking good for me. But I really do love Florida and I love being here. In terms of my past experience with gambling. I was the editorial director of U.S. Racing. That's a horse racing site and have been a freelance writer for many years. I've had my work featured in Forbes and Sports Illustrated. I obviously love business writing as well. I even did one of those financial newsletters. You guys have seen these things where you get some guy and, you know, he's sitting there and he's, you know, the fans blowing. He's got, you know, loads of cash and this kind of stuff. Yeah, I actually was the editor of one of those newsletters. And honestly, that's why I stopped being the editor of one of those newsletters. That is the thing that I want to get away from with this show, too, because sports gambling is probably even worse. I mean, we've all seen the caricatures where they're talking about making a ton of money, you know, and they always have these insane hit rates. You know, they're they're hitting 75% and it's an off year. Uh, I saw one show where a guy was talking about money management and his idea of money management was to bet three games and divide the money up on three games. How that is money management, I don't know. And then you have all the pyramid schemes in terms of betting and all kinds of different things like that. I want to get away from that and I want to talk more about facts and figures. And I, again, I think it's not only important in terms of gambling, it's important in terms of life. Understanding risk-reward ratios and all of those kinds of things is of crucial importance. So we'll talk about that in the game theory segment. And then, like I said, in the handicapping segment, we will look at the games for this week. Before we get to that, now that I've briefly explained a little bit about myself, I've got some clips from last week's NFL games. Now, it was a it was a crazy slate of games. And I want to start with Jacksonville coming from behind, 27 points behind, and beating the LA Chargers. And the first clip I've got here is Jacksonville coach Doug Peterson was asked what he thought of the game and also what he thought of Jacksonville's chances further on in the playoffs. If you could play clip number one, George. Well, I'll start off by saying this. Do not blame that game on the defense, okay? I don't care who you play, whether it's a high school team, a junior college team, a college team, much less an NFL team. When you turn the ball over five times, four interceptions, you ain't going to beat anybody I just talked about. Anybody. All right? 
And that was a disgraceful performance, in my opinion. In my opinion, that sucked. What's that? Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. Okay, most of you know that was not Doug Peterson. That was a famous clip by Jim Mora. But it was so perfect. I mean, the five turnovers. I don't know how many Jacksonville had, but they did have the four interceptions. And so I thought it was a perfect clip to play. That Again, it was just a crazy game. And then after the game, I tried to talk to the head coach of the L.A. Chargers, Brandon Staley. I dialed him up, and here's what I got. Clip number two. The telephone number you have dialed is temporarily not in service. El número de teléfono que usted ha marcado temporalmente no está en servicio. Okay, again, that didn't actually happen. And it was funny, as I was preparing the clips, I actually read that he is coming back to be the head coach of the Chargers next year. There was a lot of talk about that as to whether he would be even some talk that Sean Payton might take over the Chargers. Some very questionable moves, to say the least, by Staley during the playoff runs, of, of course, or even before the playoff run. He played his starters in the final game and got one of his key receivers injured. Just some questionable tactical decisions. Mind you, I want to be fair here. Coaching in the NFL is not an easy gig. I mean, you talk about pressure. You make a mistake normally in life and, you know, who knows about it. On the NFL stage, everybody knows about it. So a tough game, tough loss for the Chargers. Big win for Jacksonville. At one point, the uh, quarterback, uh, uh, Trevor, uh, I'm forgetting his last name now for some reason, but uh, Trevor Lawrence, yes. Thank you very much. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence. That's how forgettable his first half was. He was 4 of 16 and had four interceptions. That, of course, had a great second half and the Jacksonville Jaguars win. Another big game that took place last weekend was the Buffalo Bills. And, folks, I got to talk to you a little bit about the Buffalo Bills. Before the season, I thought this team was a slam dunk Super Bowl favorite. And I've watched a lot of Bills games. They've been on TV a lot. I've been able to see a lot of their games. And also have a lot of friends that are Bills fans. The Bills Mafia, as they call themselves. And I don't know. I just, I'm seeing some things that I don't like. I'm not seeing the killer instinct. I'm seeing too many turnovers. After the game against Miami, which, you know, Miami is is going into that game with a third string quarterback. I went to a sports bar and the Miami crowd was was going as nuts as the Miami crowd can go. And it was just, you know, there was a chance that they could win. And it just seemed inconceivable with a third string quarterback. Here's what Josh Allen had to say about the game against the Dolphins. Um, I thought we did some good things today. Um, I did some bad things today, you know, some stuff to clean up, some some things to learn from. Um, but we'll grow from it. It's all, all that matters is surviving and advancing. Um, it doesn't matter how we win. It's if we win. And uh, proud of our guys for playing the way they did. All right. That was my first legitimate clip. That literally was Josh Allen and what he said after the game. And again, the Bills are a very, very good team. But that was concerning to me. The last clip I have is Dallas had a, a really big win and looked very impressive. Dallas for the last four weeks have looked extremely impressive to me. And in this clip, Dak Prescott talks a little bit about the pressure that he's faced leading the Cowboys. Again, that's another high-profile job. And Dak has had his share of pressure. Here's what Prescott had to say. I didn't listen. I simply just didn't uh, listen to anybody else's opinions, anybody else's thoughts. Uh, made sure I was conscious of what I put in my own head. Um, got a great supporting, supporting cast and, and my team, people that believe in me. Uh, and that's all that really matters to me. And just stay focused on uh, what I can do. 
All right, with that, let's move on to the game theory segment because, again, I really want to talk to you guys about numbers and what they mean. Now, Mark Twain once said that figures lie and liars figure. And while that's partly true, it's frankly true everywhere, um, just look at social media, it's not the whole truth. Numbers give us our only objective view of the world. And I think that's why they're so important. Now, there are three main arguments about numbers and, and why you, you shouldn't pay attention to the numbers. Obviously, we just talked about one of them, the fact that, you know, figures lie and liars figure. So you can say anything you want. Well, again, partly true, but not totally true. The biggest thing to understand there is context. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. The second thing that I constantly hear as an argument against using numbers is that they can't represent things like emotion or love. And the fact of the matter is they can. I mean, you're listening to a podcast. It's a digital signal. It's my voice produced digitally. And then as far as passion, you know, isn't that one of the things that gets us into trouble? I think all of us can relate to doing things out of passion or love that haven't exactly been smart and maybe made our situation worse. So again, two and all for numbers, in my opinion. The last thing, and this is a tough one, I hear this a lot, and there is no good argument against it, and that is that numbers are cold. That is undeniably true. When you're talking about sensitive subjects like death, People don't like to hear about numbers, you know, and and honestly, I get it. It's like, you know, I've, I've had, uh, I remember being in a friend's house and the dog bites me. I get nervous around, you know, any big animal with teeth. And then, of course, what are you told? Well, they can sense your fear. Well, yeah, okay, great, but you know, I can't just turn it off. And so anyway, this dog takes a nip at me and the, the person says, and I love this, you hear this all the time, man, he's never done that before. Heard this once about a, a shark attack. And, you know, somebody had their leg bit off and, and the person, you know, some of the officials say, ah, you know, this is very rare. They mistook you for a seal. See, it, it doesn't do you any good that they mistook you for a seal when that shark is swimming off with your leg. Likewise, a dog biting my hand off, it, it didn't. But I mean, if it had, it's not going to do me any good to hear, oh, well, at least it was rare. You know, that, that was a rare event. So understand that numbers are cold, but they do give us a basis to make risk and reward decisions. So I want to start off by giving some examples. I'm going to talk a little bit about odds. So your chances of getting bit by a shark, since I used that example a little bit earlier, let's talk about it again. Your chances of getting bit by a shark are 3.75 million to one. And that's according to the International Wildlife Museum. Your chances of winning the Powerball, just to put that number in perspective, is one in 292 million. So you have a 77 times, you're 77 times more likely to get bit by a shark than to win the Powerball. This, my friends, is how figures lie and liars figure, because it all depends on context. When I lived in Denver, minus a very frightening Sharknado type scenario, there was zero chance that I would get bit by a shark shark, excuse me. Now that I live in Florida, there is still zero chance that I'm going to get bit by a shark for the reason that I just mentioned. I don't, or at least I'm respectful of big animals with big teeth. I'm not going to get into the ocean. So my effective chances of getting bit by a shark are zero. And again, that matters. The other thing that you see is your odds of dying in a hurricane. 
I looked up these numbers. One in 62,288, that according to the Insurance Information Institute. Yet all my time in Denver, not a single hurricane. Now, maybe I was lucky, but it could be that Denver just doesn't get hurricanes. So again, that number applied broadly simply can't be done. And so that's the kind of stuff that you want to look for in statistics. You want to look for context. The other thing I want to talk about that kind of relates to all of this and especially relates to the reward risk-reward ratio is the favorite long-shot bias. Now, this was discussed over 70 years ago, and there were studies on horse racing that shows the public tends to undervalue favorites and overvalue long shots. And you can definitely see that in big events like the Kentucky Derby, especially the Kentucky Derby and the Breeders' Cup. It's a universally accepted theory. The debate is about why. Now, in sports betting, you see the opposite phenomenon. You see people tending to overvalue favorites and undervalue long shots. And we're definitely going to talk about that in the handicapping segment. In 2010, researchers Eric Snowberg and Justin Wolfers concluded that it was primarily a misunderstanding of probabilities that led to this. Like I said, there's a lot of debate as to what it is. Is it, you know, thrill-seeking betters? You know, what causes people to make these faulty assumptions? So these researchers said it was primarily the latter. And they used some research by Joseph Simmons. He's an associate professor, or was, at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School, and Leif Nelson, who is an associate professor at the Haas School of Business at the University of California. And they did a fascinating study analyzing data on 1,008 regular season games in the NFL on sportsbook.com from 2009 to 2012. And they found that 65% of the bets were made on favorites. Now, I want you to really think about that because these are favorites with a spread. And the spread has been shown to basically make it a 50-50 proposition. So the idea that 65% of the bettors would be playing the favorites is very telling. And by the way, it does relate to the same thing in horse racing. It does relate to that inability to assess probabilities. It's just a little bit on its end in horse racing because there are more entrants, there are more options in horse racing. Now, the really amazing thing about the research that Simmons and Nelson did is that they fiddled with the lines and told people that they fiddled with the lines. They made the favorites even bigger favorites, and they found that people still overwhelmingly bet on the favorites. And the conclusion was is that people want to bet on something they are comfortable with, something they are comfortable with winning a bet. And it, it really is amazing. And like I said, it ties into horse racing because it's the same type of thing. I did some of my own research on this because I was curious to see exactly how pronounced this bias is. So I have a sports betting database. Well, I have sports betting databases on pretty much every sport. But in the NFL, it goes back to 1978. And so I examined teams that were exactly 10-point favorites. And what I found is that they won in the NFL 80% of the time. In college football, it was 75% of the time. And if I didn't mention it, the college football database goes back to 1978 as well. So again, to repeat those, 80% winning if they're a minus 10-point favorite. 
And by the way, exactly 10 points because I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to mess around with some of the, the odds in between. Minus 10 in college football was a 75% outright win rate or straight up win rate. When you bet with the spread, it was a 47% win rate. Now, let that sink in. Because understand that against the spread, you're looking for 50-50. When one team is winning 47%, that entails, implies that the other team is winning 53%, which is basically a break-even proposition or a little bit above. So that is an amazing statistic. The ROI on the money line was minus 3.8% in the NFL. So if you bet the money line, whatever it was, on a 10-point favorite, you lost 3.8% of your money. In the college football ranks, it was a 5.5% loss. On the spread, a 10% loss in the NFL and an 11% loss in college football. So again, that really hammers home the point that people are not judging these probabilities well. And I did want to share real quickly a tweet. This was from some time ago, but, but I found this fascinating. A better at the MGM, this is from John Ewing. And he notes that a better at MGM wagered $331,000 on the Eagles at minus 550. And the reason I want to bring up this tweet is because the Eagles lost, but it was the better bet. That's, that's the bet he should have made if he was going to play the Eagles. The funny thing is, is at the end of the tweet, Ewing points out that Jalen Hurts is 4-0 straight up as a favorite of 10 or more points. Those are the kind of statistics that we're going to talk about. 4-0, that's just not much to really go on there. So what this tells you is that you have to consider price when you're betting, and so many gamblers do not. I mean, you would think in horse racing in particular that price would be paramount, but it's not. I constantly hear people talk about the best horse or the best team. It doesn't matter. If you want to know who the best horse is or the best team, just look at the odds. And the favorites are generally going to be the best teams and the best odds. And in fact, in a future show, We'll talk about why betting favorites and betting long shots is different because it is. When you're betting favorites, you generally need a lot of positives. When you're betting underdogs or long shots, you don't. And if you find a lot of positives, it's probably not a good underdog to bet because those are the kinds of teams or again, horses that are going to take a lot of money. So a simple way to look at this would be, you know, I love pecan pie. It's, it's my favorite pie. It is probably the worst pie you can possibly have. It's got a ton of calories, ton of fat, ton of sugar, you name it. But it's my favorite. So if I'm going shopping and I'm going to buy a pecan pie, and let's just say it's $10, I'm going to buy the pecan pie. And let's just say, for, for example, there's a pumpkin pie, which I don't like as much. And that one is $5. Generally, pumpkin pie is cheaper. So I buy the pecan pie. Now I go back to the store the next week because I'm on a pie binge now and the pecan pie is $100 and the pumpkin pie is still $5. Am I going to buy the pecan pie now? No, because the price is too high. And this is something that is simply not understood. Let me give you a, an example in horse racing that I, I think is probably the best example of why odds matter. Of course, the tracks are mandated by the state to pay out a minimum amount. And that minimum amount is $2.10 on every wager, at least in the United States. So if you have a horse that is one to nine, that's the kind of horse that's going to pay two ten. Why in the world 
would you bet it to win? Because it's going to pay 210 to win. It's going to pay 210 to place. And it's going to pay 210 to show. But when you bet to place and show, the horse can be first or second. When you bet to show, it can be first, second, or third. So there is no reason for placing a win bet on a one to nine shot. And I'm telling, telling you at the harness track, it happens all the time. Now, because the odds change, it's not always the fault of the better because they just don't know. The odds change, the race starts, the odds change, they didn't know. But still, it's something that you have to look for. Now, having said that, first of all, I thank you all for listening, but probably most of you were thinking, let's just get to the picks. Well, that's what we're going to do right now. I do want to talk a little bit about how I go about that so you guys understand it, because I think that these selections that I make can be very helpful if you are a sports gambler. If you're not, they can be helpful, but even if you are, and if you, even if you're an experienced player, because I look at things a little bit differently. So I want to explain that when it comes to the games. When it comes to the games, and, and I have to admit right off the top that some of it is simply limited by the data I can get. I just can't get all the data that I would like. So knowing that going in, I decided to really concentrate on the betting side. In other words, I'm looking for errors in the line. I'm not looking at team strengths. Now, this is a big departure from the way most handicappers analyze sports, analyze horse racing, and so forth. In horse racing, there is so much data. I can get more data. I do make some of those assessments as to performance. But in sports betting, it's really about your performance against the line. So I wanted to, to preface with that so you understand where some of this stuff comes from. So if you're a better that likes to look at individual matchups and stuff, this information can only help you. Let me start by explaining a little bit the bet rating. And by the way, on all of my reports, all of the sports that I do, and I, I have free reports from time to time at my website at databasebetting.com. You can go there for this stuff. But the bet rating is on all of the reports that I do. I wanted to keep that consistent. And they all it pretty much does the same thing on every report. And that is it looks at a team's performance against the line. Now, obviously, it's a little bit different with spread betting as opposed to money line betting like baseball, but it's the same general concept. Now, the bet ratings can vary from zero or basically unrated on up to three, four, five. I actually haven't computed what the maximum can be, but that's what that means. So when I talk about the bet rating, just understand that that's what I'm talking about. In the first matchup on Saturday, we have Jacksonville at Kansas City. And the bet ratings here, Jacksonville a 1.49, Kansas City a 2.2. Anything above two is meaningful and in many cases profitable. So do keep that in mind. So in this game, it's, it's very interesting to me. First of all, home favorites who are also favored on my fair odds line. And again, when I'm talking about fair odds, and this is a little tricky to understand, I'm talking about fair odds versus the present line. And by the way, the advantage of that is that we know going in that we're working with a 50-50 proposition. If you're looking at just talent, that's not necessarily the case. But if you're just betting the line, you pretty much know that you're dealing with a 50-50 proposition. So that's the plus here. But home favorites who are also favorites on my fair odds line are 107 and 87 in the NFL playoffs since 1978. That's a 55.2% against the spread rate. So right there alone, you have a betting angle that is profitable. Now, the way that I look at betting is you're looking at stacking a lot of the positives, always keeping in mind the price. 
there is a handicapping line of thought that's called high impact value handicapping. Again, probably seen more in horse racing than in sports betting, but impact values measure how often a particular factor wins, factoring in how many teams show that factor. So that when you have an impact value above one, it's a positive factor. When it's less than one, it's a negative factor. And a lot of people think, well, great, I'll just look for a bunch of high IVs and string them together and I'm going to have this great win rate. It doesn't work that way. And that's the reason I talked about this earlier in the show, where I actually want to do a show on this, because favorites are generally going to have a lot of things in their favor. That's why they're favorites. So keep that in mind. But the idea that you have something going in that's at 55.2% means that you can build on that a little bit, especially if you can find some things that are a little bit unique, a little bit different, because that is one of the keys to sports betting. It's one of the keys to betting is finding unique metrics. So when they're not favored on my line, this, this shows you the, the value of the bet rating, 85 and 92, that's a 48% win rate. Now, I will tell you, kind of take some, uh, you know, a little spoiler alert here. All of the teams, with the exception of one that is the favorite playing at home, has the higher bet rating. But there is one game where that is not true, and we're going to talk about that one. Now, 7 to 10 point road underdogs with fair odds of plus 100 or greater are 25 and 35 ATS. That's a 41.7 rate, and that's what you see with Jacksonville. So you've, you've already built a couple of negatives here, is that Jacksonville is on the road. They are underdogs. They have a lower bet rating. Doesn't look too good from that standpoint. Kansas City, this is, these are the kind of stats. I want to give these just because I find them interesting, but I want you guys to keep in mind that they're not always meaningful. Kansas City, 8-5 and five, uh, against the spread against Jacksonville lifetime, including 4-3 and three at home. The Chiefs have covered the spread against the Jaguars in six straight games. I do find this meaningful because the teams have been relatively similar, at least Kansas City has for several years. And that statistic, by the way, dates back to 2010. The one that I find really interesting, because I, I think it could be true in today's game, is that the under has prevailed nine times in their 14 meetings. In the first round of the playoffs, we saw a lot of mismatches. In fact, there were what was it, four teams that had a negative point differential. Point differential, by the way, is a very important statistic. It's used in a lot of different sports. There were four teams that had a negative point differential in the first round of the playoffs. There's been no team that has ever won the Super Bowl that had a negative point differential in, in the regular season. And I, I say ever, that's actually not true. <laughs> it's going back to 1978. Might have happened before then. Frankly, I doubt it. But of the four teams, only one has remained, and that's the New York Giants. And their point differential is positive now because they beat Minnesota. But of course, Minnesota had a negative point differential, so one of them had to prevail. But Miami was negative. They're out. It's, it's one of those things. It's, it's really, really tough to overcome. So that's something to look for when you're looking at these games as well. And in this particular game, or in the first round, um, getting back to my point, is that there were a lot of mismatches. You had some teams that really just kind of straggled into the playoffs and just really weren't. I mean, Miami being a good example, let's be real. You got a third string quarterback. This is not a team that you expect to make a deep run. 
And so that negative point differential, I think, was was very, very telling in that case. Um, we'll talk about the Giants a little bit later. So in this second round, now you're seeing kind of the real playoffs begin. So whereas we had some really high scoring affairs in the first round of the playoffs, I don't think that's going to be true this second time around. I think defenses are definitely going to prevail. One of the other things, just looking at fundamentals that I think makes Kansas City a stronger play in here is the last time they met Jacksonville, that was a 27 to 17 home win on November 13th, so a 10 point win. Not only did they average 7.8 yards per play, they were 7 and 10 on third down. Jacksonville does not have a particularly good defense, but Kansas City had three turnovers in that game. Jacksonville had zero. Now, I'm not expecting Trevor Lawrence to have the kind of game he did this first time around, but the fact that you overcome three turnovers and still win by 10 kind of makes sense that you can cover an eight and a half point spread. When I talk about these games, by the way, I'm not going to, some I will have plays for, but others I just want to give you some information on. In this particular game, I would be very, very tempted to take the under on this game. And that under, by the way, as of press time is 53 points. So that is that particular game. Let us move on to the next game on Saturday. And that's the New York Giants at Philadelphia. This game is very, very intriguing to me. I don't like the Giants, to be honest. I, I just don't think that they're a particularly good team. Like, like I mentioned, they had a negative point differential. So their chances of winning the Super Bowl, next to none. Um, watch, that's going to come back and bite me. <laughs> but the, the other thing in the playoffs that you have to watch for is going back to that whole understanding probabilities. And they get very, very skewed in, in the playoffs. And this game is highlights it. Home playoff teams trying to go 3-0 and versus an opponent are 13-6 and in the history of the NFL. And Philadelphia has swept the Giants thus far. They won the first, excuse me, they won the first time they met and they won the second time they, they met. So 13 and six. Yet if you had played the underdog on the money line, you actually make money. 29% ROI, basically 29 cents profit on every wager dollar. Now I took that logic into the Seattle-San Francisco game, even though, and again, I'm from Seattle, so it's not a game that I bet, but it's it's it, it made sense to me that that Seattle at least, you know, had a had a chance statistically. Fundamentally, I, I just didn't think there was a chance at all. But that just could be the Seattle fan of me. I don't know. I would say the same thing here. I think the Giants are definitely up against it. But if you are gonna bet the Giants, I would urge you to take the money line, go for the straight upset as opposed to taking the spread. And there's some reasons to think that they can beat Philadelphia. Let's first start with some of the negative. The Giants have allowed 5.2 yards per carry. And as we know, Philadelphia is a great running team. The first time they met, the Eagles won 48 to 22 in New York and gained 253 yards on the ground. The second time they met, Philadelphia gained just 135 yards on 34 carries. That's about four yards per attempt. And it should also be noted that Davis Webb, who was making his first NFL start, was the quarterback. So it's not like the Giants were coming in as any kind of powerhouses. The interesting thing to me about that game, and I think this game hinges on it, is Jalen Hurts. Now, he did not practice 
for much of the week leading up to that Giants game. And he played, I was going to say arguably his worst game, but I don't think it is even arguable. It was his worst game of the season. Not only did he have a 65.1%, excuse me, not percent, 65.1 passer rating. That's his worst of the 2022 season. Um, He also had just 13 yards rushing on nine carries. And so that obviously is part of the reason the Giants were able to hold Philadelphia in check. That is going to be a key. And when you can run against the team, it's really, really hard to try to beat that team. And so I think Philadelphia has that going for them. But what does their health look like right now? In terms of other statistics, we were talking about the bet rating. There's only been one team, one team since 1978 that had a bet rating of less than one in the playoffs. And that was San Diego in 2005. And they were six and a half point favorites and lost outright. The Giants have a 0.99 bet rating. So that's something that I don't think plays in their favor. Also, I mentioned earlier that seven to 10 point road underdogs that are underdogs on my line as well, my fair odds line as well, only cover about 40% of the time. So like I said, if you like the Giants, I think you should play them straight up. I think you should play them on the money line. This is a game that I don't see a lot of value in. This is another one where I would be tempted to to go on the under because Hertz is the key to this. And if he's not 100%, then there's problems. He did practice all week. Everything looks like a go. Obviously, they had had some time to recover too. So he should be in good shape. But like I said, not a game that really gets my, my, my blood going. Cincinnati and Buffalo is another one that I'll just say up front that this is not a game that I would be betting because Cincinnati right now is playing pretty good football. And by the way, I did some research on teams that were hot going into the playoffs and cold going into the playoffs. Makes no difference. It really doesn't. It, it, it always sounds good. But when you look at the teams with the long winning streaks, you find that, yeah, they go to the Super Bowl a lot. They do win the Super Bowl, but they don't pay anything. You know, the, the betters are not dumb. They, they factor this stuff in. And that's why when you see people acting like the betters are a bunch of rubes, it's just not true. Most of this stuff is factored in. So the long winning streaks are great, but you generally want to bet against that kind of stuff. And, and likewise, teams that are considered cold. Cincinnati, obviously a very hot team right now. Buffalo has been kind of off and on. Now, in this one, I'll just throw out some stats for you guys. In the playoffs, visiting team underdogs by three to seven points. So we're looking at a little bit smaller window here. 40 and 48 ATS since 1978. That would still be a winning bet, a profitable bet for the opposing side, in this case, Buffalo. But it it does put it in perspective. It's obviously not near as bad as what we saw with the seven to 10 point favorites. The under in these games... 57.5% of the time, the teams have combined to go under the total. So once again, that looks like it might be a reasonable bet. bet. In terms of recent trends, the under is 8-1 in the Bengals' last nine playoff games, and the over is 7-3 in their last 10 meetings. In other words, there's nothing to go on there. So (laughs) just take your pick. But I I would be tempted to go with the under. Lastly, this is the most intriguing game of the playoffs, and it's Dallas versus San Francisco. Now, I have to preface it by saying that I bet against San Francisco several times this year, and they have not just beat me. They've humiliated me. They've absolutely crushed me. I mentioned the Seattle game, and, you know, that was close for a half, and I was amazed. And then (laughs) the second half rolled along, and it was just not close at all. San Francisco is the real deal. And, And I'll say something more. I think Brock Purdy 
is one of the best first-year quarterbacks I've seen. And I know that's going to you know raise some eyebrows. There have obviously been some good ones, one of them playing in, in Cincinnati. But Purdy has been amazing. He's, he ranks first overall in quarterback passer rating. He's fourth, I believe, in QBR. He has just been near perfect. And I love the guy's decision-making. He just doesn't make bad decisions. And for some of you, you know, you'll remember Tom Brady when they won their first Super Bowl as underdogs. Tom Brady was that kind of guy. He was a game manager kind of guy. You don't always need the cannon for an arm, the physical tools of a Josh Allen. Sometimes just making the right decisions. And Purdy definitely seems to be doing that. Now, visiting team playoff underdogs by zero to seven points, this is the amazing thing, are 53 and 47 when favored on my odds line. I mentioned how important that is. Dallas is favored on my odds line. So that already puts them into the black category. They're 50 and 42 when they possess a positive point differential, which Dallas does. Dallas has a 7.9 point differential, which is amazing. Mind you, they were, they're 13 and 5, but nonetheless, that's a very, very impressive point differential. Now, here's the, the part that really ties in everything I talked about earlier in the show. The value is on the money line. The underdog in these situations, what I just detailed, good for a profit of about 13 cents per dollar wagered. They win 44% of the time. In other words, I feel Dallas has a, I would say that they're probably closer to a 50% chance of winning, but they're plus 165 on the money line. So to me, that is absolutely where the value is. And in this game, I would shade to the over. And the reason I say that is because I definitely see this being a very competitive game. Um, These are, do I want to say, yeah, they're probably the two best teams in the NFC. I really do believe that. These two teams are very, very good. And so the over is 4-0 in the 49ers' last four games. It's 8-3 in the last 11 meetings between these teams. And again, I think that's reasonable to look at in this particular case because these teams have, have, you know, they're they're traditional NFL powerhouses. They've remained pretty static. So to kind of summarize the bets, take Dallas plus 165 on the money line and possibly the under in the Kansas City game. Those are the plays. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to the Simon Says Sports Show. Remember that you can find this show on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember to go to aguamedia.com for this show and a whole bunch of other great shows as well. And you have my picks. I will be back next week. You can bet on it. Agua.